We've got less than a week. That's it. And the tensions are rising. Feel it in the air, huh? November 8th is the election. Here in Arizona, there has been accusations of intimidation at different drop boxes. Individuals show up at a drop box to do early voting, put in their their ballot, and around there, there are individuals standing or sitting. They got guns with them. And so many individuals are feeling intimidated by that. In fact, it's actually gone to the court to stop individuals from doing that. And the media is giving a ton of attention to this election again. And it's significant because not only is it going to shape Congress and local state governors, secretary of states, etc., but it also is basically kind of setting the stage for what's going to happen two years from now where the presidential election will take place. So the media is spending a lot of attention to this, wondering, will the forecast of Republicans taking over Congress or the Senate or the House, will that come true? Or will the Democrats be able to hold on? How much impact will the road decision by the Supreme Court impact us? How much will the rising inflation impact the choices we make on November 8th. But there is one thing in particular I want to highlight, and that is Christianity. Over the last 20-some years, there's been a lot of attention around Christians when it comes to election. And with that comes a lot of tension also. And so why? Why is there attention attention being paid to Christians, and why do people feel this sense of tension about Christians and voting? Well, part of that is evangelicals, which are about 20 20 to 25% of the population, evangelical Christians vote as a block, as one group of people for the most part. And so they and they vote Republican. And so the majority of Republicans rely upon that block to be a significant portion of that what is needed to be able to win elections. That alone becomes kind of a, a, a linchpin, a, a key factor, not only for the Republicans, but for the Democrats, because the Democrats don't have that kind of a block. Democrats are becoming more and more diverse. In fact, they're becoming less Christian, and they are attracting more and more individuals who were ex-Christians or those who identify as a non, meaning they still may believe in God, but when it comes to religion, nothing to do with it. So consider that. If Christians are such a big issue when it comes to this election, and again in 2024, The question to ask is, how do we as Americans view Christians? And how do Christians view themselves? Now, when it comes to how Christians see themselves, a large portion of conservative evangelical Christians see themselves as victims, that they have no power whatsoever. 
that they are being discriminated against. Why? Because, again, they see themselves as a minority. They only, again, make up 20 to 25% of the population in America. However, they make up a significant portion of the Republican Party. So they believe and they see themselves as victims, that they're being discriminated against the liberal left. How many times have you heard that phrase? You hear the phrase, the religious right, conservative Christians, and on the other side, you hear about the liberal left. So the liberal left, they see as trying to impose upon them these secular values, values that they do not resonate with. And this pressure to have those being imposed upon you, eventually that's going to create some kind of kickback. At some point, they're going to say enough. All we have to do is look over what's happened after the last two or three decades. There was the feminist movement that impacted how Christians saw the roles of gender. All of a sudden, everything started to shift. Four or five generations ago, the majority of families had one person bringing in income. The, the wife stayed home, cared for the family. That changed. Women became more and more a part of the workforce, took on professional careers. And with that also came another shift. And this one was around the value of life. As women became more and more finding their place in the marketplace, there was another phenomenon that took place, birth control. And birth control gave them a great deal of freedom. Now they had control of when they decided to conceive. Well, what happens if you conceive and you now have a child, I mean, I'm sorry, a fetus that is growing inside of you? What if you're not ready for that? What if it was an oops moment? Well, abortion eventually became legal. And the conservative Christians felt that this, again, was a secular value of life being imposed upon them. Because how they saw life and how they saw the secular side seeing life were against each other. And then the next thing that occurred was the value of family, of marriage, they felt was under attack by the LGBTQ plus community. They wanted rights, understandable, but yet now they wanted to be married. And many conservative Christians saw that the value of love, especially romantic love, erotic love, was between a man and a woman. Then with this shift taking place, they again felt like the secular left was putting upon them now they had to redefine and understand what marriage was and how that impacted the family. But again, the liberal left, the secularists, they weren't done. They went after school prayer. Now they wanted other religions to be valued. 
to be respected. Therefore, when it came to prayer being in school, they got rid of it. Uh, (laughs) Again, think about how the conservative Christians were feeling. More and more of the values that they, they held on to and they were passing from one generation to the next. And you know what I'm talking about because you have got values that were instilled upon you by the prior generation, by your parents, by teachers. And now all of a sudden these values that have been given to you, they don't want them, they felt like the secular left didn't want them to continue those. There was new values that they had to adopt and buy into. Critical race theory, which recently we've seen take place, the big arguments around that, again, it all goes back to a sense of race and what it means to be an American. And so finally, the conservative Christians said, enough. We're not going to do it anymore. We are not going to be the victims. We are going to start pushing back. And with that, They saw an opportunity as far back as the 1980s. They saw an opportunity to gain power, and that was the religious right. The religious right, the moral majority, these were individuals who were talking their language. These were individuals who were saying, hey, you know those values that are being threatened? We'll stand up for them. We'll stand up for you. Come join us. Well, the religious right was a part of the Republican Party. And so more and more evangelical Christians begin to, in order to preserve the values that they stake their lives on, they begin to see the only way to do that was to vote Republican. So that's how we saw this victimhood that conservative Christians were experiencing, that were feeling inside of them, this is why they ended up joining into the political movement. And we saw this combination of religion and politics coming together. For conservative Christians, many of them saw this as a necessity, as the only way to preserve their freedoms. They believed that the liberal left was coming after them hard, hard. And the only way they could fight back was through exercising their freedom, preserving their freedom. So they went to the courts, the Supreme Court, demanding that they be respected. So that's how conservative Christians saw themselves. So how did none Christians see the conservative Christians. And again, understand that when we say conservative Christians, for many individuals, they equate Christianity and conservative Christianity as being one and the same. So how did these non-Christians view the Christians, the conservative Christians? Well, They saw them as villains. They saw them as bullies. That they were trying to establish their own beliefs into law. And that they were using politics in order to bring that about. 
Another accusation that they threw at them was that conservative Christianity had been tainted by politics. Christianity was no longer about theology and community and family. Instead, they had gotten into bed with the religious right, the Christian right, and its political agenda, and it was very difficult to separate the religious right's political agenda from the GOP's political agenda. And more and more non-Christians said, enough. Last month in September of this year, the National Conservatism Conference took place. A reporter wrote the following about this event. He said the following, words chosen to describe the fight against America were words that were rooted in biblical terms. Speakers, one after the other, begin to say that we are in a religious battle in which Republicans must be unafraid to use state power to thwart progressive goals, not just in government, but the private sphere too. Man, <laughs> I mean, you're talking about tension. More and more, we're beginning to see both Republicans and Democrats talking about interacting with each other in the terms of a battle. One side claims that Christianity claims that God is on their side, and more and more Republicans are leaning that direction. And yet on the other side, the liberal left, what you would call even the religious left, they see this as them trying to impose their beliefs, their doctrines upon them. So what is the result of this? What takes place? What happened? We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I want to talk to you about the fallout from this tension between these two sides, between Christians and non-Christians. Social scientists have argued, and it's been a compelling argument, that left-leaning Americans are starting to reject religious labels altogether. Now, again, left-leaning Americans, this includes Christians, progressive Christians. These are individuals who are, are concerned and embarrassed to identify as a Christian anymore. And to be honest, there are times when, when I feel it, when I feel that if someone is asked, if I'm asked, are, are you a Christian? Well, I mean, it's one thing to tell them I'm a minister. It's another thing to admit that I'm a Christian because we, we, we have a tendency to have this broad umbrella 
And when we say conservative Christian, or we just say Christians, we assume that they're all the same. And when people talk about the liberal left, they assume that they're all the same. I probably would be identified as being liberal left. I'm not sure if that's something I myself would label myself as. But that's the title. And when I'm called a liberal left, and when people say things about the liberal left, there's a part of me that goes, what? No, that's not me. How dare you? How dare you assume that this is the person that I am? But yet, the opposite is happening. Non-Christians are doing that to Christians. They're saying, well, if you're a Christian, that means you're this, you're that, and the list continues. We have pigeonholed people. We have decided that you are a square peg and you are a round peg. That's how we, we've been able to somehow make sense of what's going on around us. And when you're misunderstood, when you feel like other people are imposing upon you their beliefs, their values, it's like a mama bear when someone goes after her cubs. What are you going to do? You become defensive. You're going to try to protect yourself, your family, those you love, your church. And so both sides are feeling like they are under attack by the other side. No wonder there's so much vitriol around us right now, and especially because of this election. You see, when you see your future is at jeopardy, when you're uncertain what kind of a world your kids and your grandkids will grow up in, all of a sudden, you're willing to fight. So what do we do? What's the answer? Well, if I had the answer answer, I would probably be in some think tank sharing my ideas, so I don't have the answer answer. But I will give you something to think about, something for you to discuss with your family and friends if you feel safe enough to even do so. Isn't that, again, think about that. What a shame right now, folks. What a shame that there more and more subjects are becoming off-limits, taboo. Don't talk about it. But that's the only way we're out of this, in my opinion, is we got to talk to each other. The two sides have got to come together, and in coming together, maybe they can discuss values, principles, and in turn, the resulting ethics to live by. When the secular and the religious can come together, there's got to be some common values that they can agree to. Not Forget about being secular. Forget about being religious. Think about just being human. Are there common values that these two sides can agree upon? 
I'll throw one out there. Love. Simple. Now, it's really challenging to live out. But what if that was our starting point? That was the value that both sides could agree upon. I, I would assume that the majority of human beings want to be loved and have a need to love. Maybe that's the answer, is that we need to stop seeing each other's with labels printed on our foreheads and instead maybe, just maybe, we could begin to see each other as human beings with basic needs, basic desires, and out of that have conversations that might help us become more united and simply get along with each other. I hope that this podcast, this episode has provoked you, not in a negative way, but in a positive way, that you will begin to understand that what you perceive to be your enemy, someone who is different than you, someone who has different values and beliefs, that those are people that you could learn from. Those are the people that you do need to talk to so that we as a society can find that common bound, I'm sorry, common bind around us. So, talk. Mind the ear. And no matter what you're doing out there, today or tomorrow, or the week to come, stay safe out there. We'll see you again.